Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We are continuing to look at the Beatitudes today. Yesterday, we um, looked at the idea that the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek are actually attitudes, and, and they all indicate in my mind, that you see things rightly. You see the, the, the world as it really is, which is over against the way it should be and could be. And, and I think that's the beginning point of nearly everything. You're not taking delight in and pleasure in the world because you understand that most people are not. I mean, I've had this conversation a million times. Uh, all, almost all of us do one thing when we compare our situation we only compare up, right? We don't compare to 99% of the world. Um, and, and if we did, we would, we would have the appropriate outlook on things, but we tend to not even think about these things. I'm no better at it than anybody else is. I mean, every time I've been to Rwanda, I, I just feel horrible about the fact that most of the time that I don't even consider the plight of most people. And even when I'm in Rwanda, I'm staying in nice places, eating good food, all that kind of stuff, even when I'm there. So I'm even even in those situations, I'm, I'm sheltered from the way that most people actually live in those countries because I spend most of my time in Kigali when I'm there. And so I'm not really exposed to the way people live out in the bush. You know, it's just not something that, that occurs most of the time. And so I think we can easily get insulated and isolated and lose perspective on the world. And what Jesus is trying to say is if you could see things the way I do, then, then this is the perspective you would have. I mean, I think sometimes we do get breakthrough insights into things when we see things as they are. And then we rec- recognize that even the things that seem so good to us are actually, you know, a, a small fraction of what they were intended to be. Um, when we think about the productive capacity of, of the planet, that's true, because God cursed it that the work would be required, extraordinary labor would be required to get it to give up its produce. We hear that in, um, in Paul when he speaks in Romans about the whole earth groaning in creation in anticipation of the revelation of the sons of God. The earth groans, you know, it, so, it, so it is what we do, how we live, the, all those things. And, and to feed our ever-growing appetite for novelty, it gets worse and worse. I mean, we're, we're uh, destroying the earth, but we're also getting it from slave labor. And, and we prefer not to think about those, well, inconvenient facts. And so Jesus says, if you could take the, the view that I have, if you could see it all, then you would be poor in spirit and you would be mourning. And then you would also understand what it means to be meek because you would see clearly what it looks like to stand before a holy God. And, and that, those, th- that those attitudes are out of step with all philosophical teaching that, w- that at the time, at least Greek philo- Greco-Roman philosophy, was, was dedicated to happiness. It was dedicated to uh, exaltation of the self, that those were the, the things that were valued. They still are. <laughs> those are the things that are valued by society. 
And so, but so what Jesus is saying is be out of step with the world, but that puts you in step with God. And so then we go on, and, and then he's basically telling us how to live once we see appropriately. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He's going to teach that just here in the next chapter. He's going to teach, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It, it's, it, it, he's going to teach it over and over and over. He's going to tell us how to have right eyes and right understanding of things by telling us the value of the kingdom respective to everything else. Pearl of great price, treasure hidden in a field. He, he wants us to raise our gaze. He wants us to be like Solomon when he wrote Ecclesiastes and he saw the world for what it was. He saw it as a place of great wonder and a great temptation, but in its fallen state, he saw that the kingdom of God was more. So everything under the sun, he says, is vanity. If we could have that attitude towards it, then we could put things in their right places and, in, and have the right perspective. If we hungered and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied, Jesus says. If you're hungering and thirsting for the right things, you'll find them. You'll get them all. You'll be perfectly satisfied if you hunger and thirst for the right things. So it begs the question, what am I hungering and thirsting for? What am I hungering, thirsting for in my life? And, and what would, am I satisfied? I mean, I recently had a conversation with somebody who, who I think has lived an exemplary life. They had their own business, um, but they never bought a big house. They, they, in fact, just moved across the street from the home they grew up in. Had a business that was based in the basement of the house they grew up in, where their mom and dad lived, who helps everybody who comes into their field of vision, does anything and everything for other people, doesn't take consideration for themselves, did well, succeeded, never had children, but cared for every child that came in to the family. I mean, raised them as though they were their own. And one of those children later asked the question recently, he's done really, really well, he's made a lot of money. And he asked her, said, um, how much is enough? Well, you, you asked the wrong person because she figured that out a long time ago. Enough was whatever God gives me. She put her gifts and talents to use and went to work, and she was satisfied. And, and that being be it, the ability to be satisfied um, outside of material things is the greatest blessing you could ever have. And it begins with one thing in my mind. It all begins with thankfulness. And so then, then we can be thankful for what we have, and we're not chasing after the wind, which is what Solomon would say. Um, then we can chase after not the wind. We can chase after the right things. We can seek the kingdom of God. And if we do that, Jesus says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you, largely because they're not important to you. But if you make those things primary, then you don't get any satisfaction at all. There's always the question of how much is enough. Well, once I have this, then well, now I'm in a different strata, and the people that I'm around now are doing things and having things that I didn't even know I could want before now. And that just goes on and on and on, and then it ends up with the vanity of you know, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, buying the Washington Post, and, and that's not enough. And so what does he do? Well, he starts that you know, whole thing about having a rocket and going into space. For what purpose? 
Well, he's keeping up with Elon Musk, right? I mean, so there, that is always the situation, is, is that we should hunger and thirst after the right things. And Jesus tells us what those right things are. And the way he tells us is, if you seek these things, you'll be satisfied. And that's what we really want, right? I mean, how much is enough is a statement of dissatisfaction with what I have today. Is it ever going to be enough? And the answer is no. If you're searching, searching, <laughs> searching after those things, they'll never be enough. Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. All right, we should set ourselves about that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. All right, so if I want to receive mercy, then what do I do? I give it. And it's the same thing that Jesus teaches, you know, when he teaches them how to pray. You know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, that, that's a call on my life to be a merciful person. And the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to be a merciful person. My, my flesh doesn't want to do that, wants justice. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And he seems to make forgiveness contingent upon our ability and our willingness to forgive other people. That, that if we don't forgive them, then we will not be forgiven either because we're intended to be like God. And God is a God of mercy. He's a God of justice as well. But mercy triumphs over justice ultimately. It has to, it, unless God wants to be alone throughout all eternity. And he didn't. And he proves that he's merciful by sending his son not just to come and shake us up, but to come and die on the cross for our sins. We know the great mercy of God. We know the great love of God. He teaches us in the example of his son how to be merciful and loving. It's praying for those who persecute us, praying for those who would put us to death even. Jesus does it, but you know what? So does Stephen. That's the astounding thing to me because I can look at Jesus praying for his persecutors while he's on the cross and think, well, he's Jesus. And then I look at Stephen praying the same thing as they stone him. And now it's a struggle for me because I can't just say, well, that's Jesus. No, that's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a man who sees things rightly. And he understands the people who are really suffering here are the people who are killing him. He understands that they're under an oppression that's far greater than what they're doing to him. And so he prays for them. And I think part of being poor in spirit and mourning I think that enables us, frankly, to be more merciful to others. It's, I know that in my own life, when the, the worst parts of my life when, it was when I stood in opposition to somebody or when, um, when, a, when a, a lynch mob came against me in the church at one time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just wanted to be right. I don't know what the merciful thing to do would have been, in those situations, but I know that I wasn't. Um, it, but the, but in those moments, it might not have been right to show mercy, but certainly in victory, showing mercy is really important. You know, even in defeat, to pray for those people, to continue to care for them, and to see them as uh, victims at some level of a demonic um, 
um, not oppression, that's not the right word, what am I looking for here, uh, to be victims of, of some sort of demonic deception is a better way to say it, that, that I understand most of the time people are deceived. There's, there's something to be gained, and if there's something to be gained in a situation, then we want it, and that's a demonic deception. Now, if there's something to be gained there, then what we should figure out is how we can have it, not I, we. And so there's there's got to it doesn't have to be a winner in everything. Truth this should be the most important thing. And then this merciful has a lot to do in my mind with being poor in spirit and mourning. It has a lot to do also with repentance, seeing ourselves rightly, seeing our own need for mercy. And then when we do that, we can restore the dignity of others and stop treating them as enemies. And just treat them as those who are created in the image of God, for whom Jesus died. The next is then, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And you know what? I have, uh, unfortunately in my life, I spent way too much of my time filling my heart and my mind with garbage. Just frankly, that's the case. But But if we would see God then what we would do is clean out the clutter and clean out the stuff we know good and well doesn't belong there and get those things out of our lives, and that's the way we draw nearer to God. We become more like Jesus. We, we, we get rid of bitterness. We get rid of anger. We get rid of envy. We get rid of jealousy. We get rid of misplaced and misbegotten desires. We move those things out of our lives, and we don't leave room for them. And and then in that, in that action of, of saying to God, I, I need to get rid of all of this. This this has to go. It's the recognition then that that while I'm cleaning up my life, the recognition is it's a mess, right? So it it it's saying that I let a lot of things into my life that have no actual place there. I let people into my life sometimes that have no actual place there, except for they make me laugh or whatever. But it it still could be inappropriate to have certain people in your life unless you draw boundaries around the way you engage with them. So there's all kinds of things that are in our lives that I believe that we, we need to take stock of and say, should that have a place in my life? And then go back to analogies that Jesus gives is that, that if you get rid of a demon— which is what I'm kind of suggesting is you get rid of the clutter and, and stuff in your life that has no place there and shouldn't be there, then what you'll find is is that you've got to quickly fill it with other things. You've got to choose what comes into your life rather than just passively allowing it. It's important to do that. But, but if we would see God, then we, we've got to deal with that, and we've got to work through those things in our lives that, that detract from our ability to see God. And then, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So, as I said, these things, uh, from hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers, are all things that should characterize the way we live. And so the first things are, once we see things rightly, once we see the world rightly, once we see ourselves rightly, once we see see God rightly, then we we need to begin to, to develop these, these attitudes in our lives, we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to be merciful. We need to be pure in heart, 
which means we got to clean things out. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I, I just preached a sermon and talked about this this issue about the blessedness of unity. And so the 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 church is meant to be a place of unity. So long as Christ is proclaimed, then we should have unity around that. And, and we should have unity around the, the way that we do things. That it we we fight over the dumbest things in the world. And it's it's tiresome to fight over some of the things that churches fight over. If it's not gospel, then we need to be devoted to, to the unity of the church. And peacemaking is a way of pointing out what's important and getting the focus back on the things that are important and, and being willing to say it, to be willing to say, you know, what we're fighting over, over may not be trivial, but it's not ultimate. And then we need to be able to bring people together to the table. I mean, right now we're in the midst of this Ukraine thing, and I don't know what the answer is, but why are we not involved in peace negotiations on a daily basis? Why are we not pursuing that? Why are our leaders only looking for military answers and more and more and more of those answers And as more and more people die? I don't see the voices for peace. It's a very strange thing, but but we as Christians need to to stand up and say, no, 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 we need to be calling for peace. We need not to be warmongers, and I think for a very long time we have been because we thought, well, might makes right. We thought that we're going to preserve the world for democracy. We're going to change the world through military means, and then suddenly the veil comes off, and you look and think, well, does that actually make any sense? To say that that way, that, that we're going to achieve peace by military conquest, not likely. So we've got to be those people. What does God want? He wants peace. He wants peace with humanity. That, that's why we would be called sons of God. And what was Jesus's, what did Jesus do? He made peace between fallen humanity and a holy God. How did he do it? He sacrificed himself. He didn't insist on his rights. He didn't insist on his innocence. He gave up his life to make peace. And as I said, in, in Rwanda, the, uh, Gerard Prunier wrote that book, and what he said was is that in order to find peace in Rwanda, somebody would have to die. And my response was, well, somebody did die. And, and that was the crux of the issue. The church became ascendant. And it sought peace because it sought truth. And then once it heard truth, because they had these gachacha courts, these localized courts where they would come and they would bring the accusers and the people that they had committed crimes against, whether those were family members of the people who had been killed or what, and they confessed their crimes. And, and the people around were able to say, well, wait a minute, that's not quite true. There's more to it than that. And But they were able to engage with one another in a mediated and moderated dispute process. And out of that came peace. It's because the cross of Christ hung over all of that as the one who died, because then everybody was allowed to see, I'm a sinner too. And then mercy could flow. And then ultimately, the last thing is, blessed are you when... 
when you're persecuted for righteousness sake for yours is the kingdom of heaven in other words if you're pursuing the right things that this is what's going to happen to you so the blessedness so you're persecuted for righteousness sake but jesus says you're to hunger and thirst for righteousness and what does he say the product of that seeking will be well it'll be persecution because the world will hate you just as it hated him because it doesn't like to feel guilty it doesn't like to have its sins exposed and then ultimately blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account it's what they did to him it's what they did to Stephen it's what they did to Paul it's what they did to every one of the martyrs who have gone before us and whose blood is the ground in which the church is planted and he says blessed are you you can only take that attitude if you understand this is not all there is if you can actually see that the world is opposed to its creator and that you stand with the creator and you will speak truth about sin and about righteousness the world's going to hate you it hated jesus and you know what some of the first people to hate you for that will be religious people because it was religious people that put Jesus on the cross and insisted that he go there. Pilate and Herod didn't want any part of that. They didn't have any choice because religious people demanded it. So he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He set, situates us in line with the prophets and, and therefore we have to take the the. the the idea of, of what a prophet's existence is supposed to be, and I'll finish with this. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was one of the great Jewish thinkers of the 20th century, when he talked about, he wrote a whole book on the prophets, and it's a wonderful book. I highly commend it. But one of the things that he said is the character of the prophet is to be very simple. It's to be aligned with God's purposes for the people. In other words, you're going to speak the truth from God to the people, so you've got to be aligned with that truth. But then you got to do that with, at, at the expense of, without being at the expense of, aligning yourself with the people and seeing yourself as one of them. And, and that's an important thing because then you can carry the people's concerns to God and God's concerns to the people. You can't lose sight of your own identity as one of them, but you do have to see things God's way and then speak those things over God's people in the hope that God's people will repent and turn to him in order that he might bless them. And so when we're persecuted and reviled and all those kinds of things, then we have to recognize there but for the grace of God go I, and I have to align myself with God. No matter what you might say against me, you need to know it's in love that I speak these things. And he says, your reward is great in heaven. That's when judgment and justice will prevail. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.